welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. Happy holidays to everybody. Uh, my name is James Rea. I'm the editor and publisher of theweeklydriver.com, and I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group. My friend and colleague is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on a repeat guest, very knowledgeable woman from iccars.com, Julie Blackley. Julie, uh, welcome back to our program, and we're going to talk a bunch of stuff about cars at the end of the year, so uh, thanks for being our guest again. My goodness, thank you very much for having me again. Well, we'll we'll, we'll take we'll just launch into this, and you've got you're an, an analyst. You've done some studies on end of the year car shopping, and we have a list of cars. So uh, we know that um, you've listed a top ten. Why don't you um, give us an overview of what the uh, survey was all about and and what you've discovered? Sure. So just as some background, in the past, so I see cars is an automotive research firm issue studies and surveys that are on topics that are of interest to consumers. So in the past, we did a study about the times of year where you can find the best deals because, you know, you often hear about year-end sales events. And we actually have data to back up the fact that the most car deals actually occur in the months of November and December. So to go along with that, um, after issuing the study about the best times to buy a car, we wanted to do a study about what models are actually um, the most frequently discounted during this time of year. So we, I have mm-hmm. a list in front of me. Might as well start with sure. number one, um, the BMW the BMW 3 Series. Everybody knows that car. It's a highly rated car. It's, um, it's been around for a while, and, and uh, you don't hear too much bad about that car. So why did that particular car and model um, become the number one of the you know best time to buy the car at the end of the year? Right. So of the top 10 list, they were mostly sedans with an emphasis on compact sedans. And that's where the BMW 3 Series falls. And a couple of things about the 3 Series is that obviously it's a luxury vehicle. And when it comes to used cars, uh, late model used cars, luxury vehicles are often where you can find the best deals because there are a lot of them coming off a lease. So there's a high inventory. So the BMW 3 Series is the car that is most likely to be discounted at least 5% or more during the month of December. And that's largely in part to the fact, as I said, that it's a luxury vehicle and there are a lot of them in the used marketplace and also the fact that it's a compact car and you know that sedans aren't doing too well right now. So that's another factor. No, they sure aren't. Um, and, and just to be clear, this would be the, the closeout model year. So this would be the 2018s. Not, if you're looking for a 2019, this probably isn't a good time, correct? Right. So actually, the cars that we were looking for, um, we looked at um, one- to five-year-old used cars. So we looked at data from the past five Decembers in order to project for this December. So we're looking at, like I said, anywhere from one to five-year-old used versions of these vehicles. I see. It looks like there's some uh, surprising to me, at least, is that the Camaro and the Mustang are on there. Right. So, yep, the Camaro ranked fourth and the Mustang ranked eighth. So these were the only sports cars on the list, the only non-sedans. And the thing about sports cars is that Um, You know, because of the way that they're driven, um, they don't really lend themselves to being like the optimal cars to buy used. 
So we think that that factors into that. Unless you're a drag racer or something, you get to <laughs> shell them out, and all you want is the body. Right. Julie, one thing that's always been a kind of a mystery to me, and I, I can get some education about this, is that Bruce and I were talking, and we've talked about it before, where cars used to be used to debut in Sept- August, September. And now, depending upon um, what the competition is, cars uh, uh, hit the market at different times of the year. So it, does your survey based strictly on calendar year, and does it make any difference in your survey and the people who responded to it uh, about when the car debuted during the year, if I've asked that question correctly. So um, we're strictly looking at December sales of these vehicles. So yes. I, I'm not sure. Um, we don't really, uh, I don't have in front of me when these particular cars debuted, mm-hmm. but I think that, um, you know, if another, if another, model came out you know before before december that i mean that could play into it but again there's no, don't have that information handy gotcha now julie do you know uh, some best sellers like say the toyota corolla or the mm-hmm. honda accord where, where they might right. fall on the list or were they so far down that it's below the list i do not have the raw data in front of me but they they were certainly towards the bottom of the list. So the Camry, the Corolla, um, Honda CRV. So typically the best sellers tended to fall at the end of the list. We had you on earlier as a guest, as I mentioned, and you mm-hmm. took us through how you guys do your surveys. Could you take mm-hmm. us through how the data is collected and, and if there was anything different about this um, survey than, than previous ones? Sure. So we have a dedicated team of data scientists that crunch numbers and that the data, so our our automotive search engine is run by um, big data analytics. So we have billions of data points. So our data scientists look through those data points and compile them to come come up with these types of surveys. And this survey, I think, I mentioned before, um, we're looking at just sales in December. Mm -hmm. So like I said, the past five Decembers, and we were projecting for, for this year. And to get that data, we look at the listings in our database. So we have, at any given time, we have about 8 million cars, um, mostly used, but also new, new and used cars in our database. So we we're able to look at those listings to pull the data that we have for these studies. Eight million is a pretty good sample, I'd say. Yes. <laughs> My right. gosh. My gosh. So, <laughs> right. So, for, sorry, for, but for the purpose of this study, yes, um, 2.4 million cars met like the data threshold. So this was actually, this particular study was. Has, has a sample of 2.4 million cars, which I hope you still think is a decent sample size. Oh my, I, you know, sometimes you see surveys and they've, they've you know, gotten 500, they have 500 mm-hmm. people who have responded to it and you think, well, that's great, but it's 500 people. And there'd be no doubt in, in your uh, studies that you've got a, a pretty good but idea of what you're talking about, I would think. <laughs> right, that's why we're, we're very confident with the data that we put out because we obviously take a lot of time to 
perfect the data and we have such a large sample to you know survey now in your expertise did any any of the vehicles uh on the top 10 list uh, surprise you or uh, your colleagues was anything that stood out that said gee i didn't ha- i had no idea that would be the case um i thought that it was interesting that it was a lot of compact vehicles i think i would have expected to see some of the larger sedans because I still think that there is like a niche market for people, you know, especially urban drivers um, for compact sedans, whereas I think the full size and even the midsize, I think that that market is hurting the most. So I think that was the biggest surprise to me, that they were mostly compact cars. It's funny that we see the Audi A4, the Mercedes Mm C-Class, Mercedes E-Class, the BMW, all popular cars, but I guess people are opting to buy their SUVs instead. Right, and people often lease those vehicles as well. So um, that means that, you know, the used ones, there isn't as high of a demand. When did this, go ahead, Julie, I'm sorry. Oh, so, no, this one thing I was going to say is that we, another study that we do focuses on vehicle depreciation and the three series, the E-Class, the C-Class, so a lot of vehicles on this list are often the ones that take the largest depreciation hit after three years. So there were some parallels there. Yes. Uh, when did this survey, when was this published and have you received uh, any feedback, whether on the um, manufacturer side or from the public. And I was just having this thought of, you know, I could go into a dealership and say, you know, I read this survey and cite your website. And have you heard anything, whether uh, people have had some success with this in their negotiations? We have not received that feedback yet. So we issued this study at the beginning of the month, which is typically when we run our studies. Um, You know, we've had good response from the media. Um, Typically, we do hear from some auto manufacturers about feedback on our studies, but we haven't haven't yet. Um, But it's also been widely shared on social media, so we've had good response from consumers, um, you know, about what cars they can find deals on. So there has been good feedback, but we haven't really heard anything from manufacturers yet. I see. Um, maybe you explained it or went over my head or something, but let's say sure. a BMW is number one and the, I don't know, we'll pick the Camaro number four. What, uh, mm-hmm. is it the percentage of discount or the number discount or what, how, how are they ranked? Right. So we found that of all the vehicles in the used marketplace that 40.5 percent of those vehicles are deals. So what we did for the study was we calculated the market value of these vehicles and compared it to what they are listed for. And we found that so the BMW 3 Series, it, it's listed as having 26 percent more deals than the average vehicle. So it's 26.6% more than the 40.5 average. The way that we calculated a deal for the purpose of this study is 
five, is 5% or more savings, which averages to about $1,000 over um, the price of the average used car, which we set at $20,000. Okay, so I get what, it. So you have to right. define what a deal is. Got it. Okay, mm-hmm. 5% off yep. or more. Right, and we calculated the cars that are most likely to be deals in the used car marketplace. Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, looking through the list again, um, what is the differentiation, for example, maybe the numbers were in front of us and we just didn't see it. So if BMW is number one and Ford Fiesta is number two, what is mm-hmm. what is the gap, if you will, or what is the uh, difference between the deal on the BMW and the deal on the Ford Fiesta or the Ford Focus? Yep. So the BMW 3 Series is 26.6% more likely than the average vehicle, and the Ford Fiesta is 24.2%. So there's about a 2% difference, and the Ford Focus was also 24.2%, but if you expanded it another decimal point, it was less than the Ford Fiesta. So the Fiesta and the Focus are very close together. And at the the bottom of the list is the A4, so we'll just take it to the, well, not the bottom, but number 10. uh, What would be that? What's their percentage it's percentage yep so it's 17.7 percent more than the average vehicle okay well, that's a good that, um, in the top 10 that's a pretty good differentiation that's that's good to know right bruce well it's not going to make me want to buy a ford fiesta even though it's <laughs> <cheap>. that's, <laughs> <laughs> i'd still rather have the c-class mercedes at number nine yes i would i would as well uh, Julie, can you right. can can we ask a personal question? Are any of these cars on the list your car? They are not. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, with two, with two two small kids with car seats, I think it would be very hard to fit those in. That's right. A small vehicle. <laughs> I guess uh, looking into 2019, can you um, let us in on any secrets of what uh, I see cars might have uh, in store for surveys in the in the next year? Sure. So we have a few surveys that we update every year that are really popular. So we do um, the cars that are most likely to reach 200,000 miles. So we call those the longest lasting vehicles. That's one That's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. And we also do the cars that people keep the longest is another one. We do a few depreciation studies cars people keep the longest, the cars people give up most frequently, um, and then we're looking at some new studies as well. So we're, we'll be working hard. That's good stuff. Uh, uh, getting away from the uh, survey for a second, I my wife's kind of looking at a used car, and I used your site, and it just seems great. I love the way it not only can you pull up cars in the area, but you can then click on incidentals such as the Carfax report and it pops up too so that's it's really you got a slick site thank you so the a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the listings on our site most listings on our site link to free Carfax reports and you know those are very important and a lot of dealers actually um so for instance if you're if you're looking for a CTO car in the listing like it will say um, that, you know, they'll charge people for Carfax reports. So it's very important that we're able to provide those to consumers for free because they 
are it's very important to understand the vehicle's history before buying it as you know <laughs> yeah there's even service i was looking at this was mercedes i was looking at and there's even uh, uh it gives you information on when the vehicle was serviced and what was done which i thought was right over and over and above right and we, we actually have an app it's called the vin report and you can act when you're on a car lot you can scan a vehicle's vin and all the pricing analysis and um, the Carfax report will actually come up instantaneously. So it's a good tool to have wow, in yeah. front of you when, when you're car shopping. Going back to the surveys for 2019, you release them at the first part of the month. And what will be the first one of 2019? Will it be the survey that talks about 200,000 miles? Um, we're actually, we have, a, we're running a few different sets of data right now. Yes. So we actually haven't quite decided what the first January study will be. But as soon as it's ready, I will send it. Well, we look forward to it. We look forward to that. It's the ICE, for now, it's the ICCars.com secret. And uh, it's, it, whatever it is, it's, uh, I still can't get over the numbers and the amount of uh, cars that you have at at your disposal to to do the number crunching, it's impressive. With uh, in the millions, it's uh, it really represents a, a true statistical analysis, as opposed to, as I mentioned earlier, other other surveys that you just think, well, it doesn't represent much. So, um, so thank you for uh, those very decent numbers. Well, well, thank you for your kind words. I'm glad you enjoy our site. Yes. Well, we want to thank, uh, and happy holidays to you, Julie. We want to thank you again for being our guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. Uh, we appreciate all the things that you share with us, and uh, everybody visit the site, as Bruce mentioned, and as you mentioned, it's, it's a very uh, versatile site with all kinds of information for the consumer. And again, it's um, www.i, lowercase i, ccars.com with we think the best logo around uh, we talked about that last time it's very creative so thank you again julie and and best to you and your family during the holiday thank you so much happy holidays to you as well take care All right. bye the weekly driver podcast gets support from americanmuscle.com your late model mustang and f-150 authority bringing you the hottest products and top-notch customer service for over a decade no one makes it easier to modify your ride. Visit AmericanMuscle.com today. Our second guest today is Ian Sweeney, who is the general manager of Trove Mobility, a whole new world of um, insurance, uh, uh, and particularly in the automotive field, we have a lot to talk about. So welcome, Ian, to our broadcast. And um, where have we discovered you today? Where are you? And, and could you give us a nice overview of what you have going on in Trove Mobility? Sure. Uh, so I'm talking to you from Oakland, California today, um, and so, uh, yeah, to introduce Trove. So Trove is a, is a startup, and we focus on something called on-demand insurance, and uh, really what we're speaking to there is sort of the ability to insure things rather than in an annual cycle like most of us are familiar with, particularly when it comes to car insurance, but in, in smaller slices, and in fact, we can slice your insurance down into the second. And... Uh, where that becomes really interesting and useful in the world of mobility is, uh, you know, we've got all these new, wonderful and wacky and fun sort of personal mobility services out there, whether it be, you know, electric scooters or all the way to self-driving cars. And all of these, these new vehicles are connected to the Internet and they're, they're telling the Internet what, it's, what, you know, what the car is doing at all times. 
And in the insurance world, we love we love data and we love understanding that risk in real time. And so what it means is we can actually insure things much more precisely. So whether that's a self-driving car that pulls away from the curb with a passenger on board, we can kind of realize that it, you know there's higher risk at that point than when it's parked and there's nobody in the car. And uh, so if you like, we right-size the insurance in real time for these wonderful sort of new modes of transport. So as I understand it, sort of the buzzword, first of all, is to, to understand is shared transportation so that people, private ownership is tending to go away and they're sharing their transportation through, it could be, uh, you know, ride share programs or you could actually, probably the dealerships eventually will be renting cars by the day or the month, kind of like mini leases, I guess. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, at its, at its core, someone, somebody smart at some point was sort of looking at the, the data on how much we actually use our cars. And, you know, they're varying estimates, but personal cars I've heard are used, you know, in the, in the low single digits of 4 to 5% of the time. The rest of the time they are sitting there. And, um, you know, we don't, don't think about it too much because we're so used to it. But as a, as a personal expense, cars and insurance and everything go with them are, are, are pretty expensive. And so you can drastically reduce the cost of transportation if you share the vehicles. And that's, it's, it's no more complicated than that. Obviously, it's taken the sharing economy as a whole has been around for a while. It's taken a little bit longer to come um, to the world of, of personal transport. But, you know, as you said, Bruce, um, car dealerships and, and OEMs are now beginning actually to offer cars on a subscription basis. Or even GM, for example, is allowing you to rent cars by the hour, by the day, or the month. They have various different programs. And so really what it offers us as consumers is, uh, you know, ultimately a, a much cheaper way to get access to the, the type of transport you um, you want. I see. So it, to tie in with what you're offering is if I have a camera or a, some my laptop and I'm going to go take a lift ride or or borrow a car for six hours i want that camera or device uh insured and that's what you're offering right well yeah that's where we started so we started in the sharing economy as well and so in a world where let's say you have an expensive camera and you're headed off for the weekend and you just want to insure that camera for the weekend we have a direct to to the consumer application they can open it up they can swipe on and insure that camera for uh, for the weekend but we use that same technology in the mobility world in a slightly different way. So let's let's imagine you're, and in fact, we work with, with Waymo and their, their self-driving cars. Okay. So in this case, it's not really about protecting a camera. It's a different thing we're protecting here. It's about protecting the, you know, the passengers and, uh, and the car themselves, itself. So as somebody jumps into that car, you know, if James and I jump into the car right now, we want to know that we're, we're protected. And we switch on that insurance just for the period of time that James and I are in that, in that car, be it a, an Uber or a Lyft or a Waymo or whatever it may be. So we're protected for that period of time. And that in itself is a new thing, being able to offer insurance, you know, for a very short period of time. As, as we all know from personal car insurance, generally it's a, you know, an annual policy. And so this notion of being able to, you know, be protected for very short periods of time is actually something very new in, uh, in the mobility space. Wow. That, so it's liability insurance even. Yeah, absolutely. And there's obviously, depending on the application, there's lots of different types of insurance. 
The same goes for the electric scooters that we all see around cities nowadays. You know, how do you begin to protect people when they're on those? Or if, uh, you know, if they're uh, renting a vehicle for, uh, for a month, Rather than and uh, rather than a year, so it, this new sort of shared transport uh, approach to the world has some fairly unique insurance challenges, and, and we're really about solving that. Is there GPS uh, uh, hooked up through the phone so that when you get to you get home from the party at midnight and you forget to, to slide the insurance off, does it keep running till the next morning yeah. when you wake up? Or yeah, great question. No, so. In the, in, in the example, of course, all the vehicles nowadays are connected to the Internet, so they have GPS location, they're, they're sending signals at, at all times. So, as, um, you know, a simple example, as you get out of that car, uh, both the car and the, and the operator of the vehicle know that you're no longer in the car and the insurance is switched off at that point. Um, the other, maybe the other point to note is, as consumers, we're, of course, we're not paying as we jump into a, a cab or a Lyft or an Uber today. We don't pay for the insurance ourselves directly. Obviously, it's, it's, it's embedded in the cost of running the business. So, but the, but the benefit to us as a consumer is who's ever operating that service is only paying for insurance when their vehicle is actually being used. And so for us as a consumer, while we don't pay directly, it obviously reduces the overall cost that we pay to, to move around the world. Well, lowering cost, I, I'm liking this. I'm liking lowering cost. Yeah. My sister uh, mailed me a clip, Ian, from I think it was the San Francisco Business Times, and so I think you're, as you said, you're from Oakland, and it was a, a whole story about uh, the companies that are now vying uh, and putting a lot of money in, into the shared automobile space, and I'm, I'm assuming that you're considering that a big part of your business with those companies, and it was... They were talking about a lot of money of an investment and how they expand and people have come around to the fact that, you know, I might own five cars and I might drive one and I might uh, rent out to the public four of them. And in your in your uh, example, it's a perfect way of I'm going to rent this um, oh, a vintage Mustang for a week and I'm going to drive along uh, the coast highway and your company would be ideal for that. You, you would. That would be a perfect, I think, a perfect scenario, unless you can correct me, that that would be the way to go with this increased yeah. number of people who are who are renting cars for short periods of time, but they're not from car rental agencies or from individuals. Exactly. I mean, there's any number of really interesting use cases that, that you know, smart entrepreneurs are coming up with for us to try new forms of mobility. So I love that example. I personally would love that example of renting a Mustang for the weekend. But I would personally have a challenge of how do I go about ensuring that? And so you're absolutely right. Those are the, the challenges that we're trying to solve from an insurance perspective so that um, you know the consumers out there can actually engage in transportation the way that they want to. As I understand it, this is all an app on a phone, and you pre-put in your, your vintage Mustang or your fancy camera so that when you do rent it or you run out the door for the weekend with it, you just slide the switch the, to activate it and away you go, right? Yeah, you, you know, if there's enough, uh, you can slide a switch or as I, I sort of alluded to earlier, quite, quite often there is an existing app or an, an existing piece of technology that, technology that realizes the car needs to be insured. And so more often than not in the mobility case, the, the consumer doesn't need to do anything, you know, by nature, perhaps, you know, opening the vehicle um, or turning on the ignition that is sufficient to give us the trigger to turn the uh, turn the insurance on. Totally transparent. I like it. Yep. Yep. 
Um, can you give us some other examples uh, in, a, in a world that maybe we haven't thought about? Uh, we mentioned, you know, uh, expensive cameras, a vintage Mustang in the, in the automotive field. What what are the things aren't coming readily to mind that you could share with us that that's your your company would, would uh, pertain to? Yeah, as I mentioned, there's lots of different crazy fun examples. Um, so self-driving cars are probably one of the most exciting ones. And again, what's happening there is there's just so much more data available so the car can tell you exactly what it wants in terms of insurance. So there's sort of um, self-driving buses, another scenario that we're, we're seeing quite often. At the other end of the scale, there's, there's maybe not quite traditional scenarios, but many of us would be familiar with like a, a zip car where you can uh, rent the vehicle for an hour or two. That, that um, car share model has been around for a while, and one of the reasons it hasn't grown so quickly is the insurance challenge. And so we're working with, with various different partners, including actually Peugeot in Washington, D.C., so they have launched a new car share program and called Free to Move. And in that example, a very similar scenario that you know we're probably all familiar with. You come along, you open up an app, you rent this car for an hour or two, and then you leave it wherever you uh, need to leave it when you're done. We're actually sitting behind their operation as well. And in that case, you know, if somebody jumps in, we switch the car, car insurance on. If somebody gets off, we switch it, switch it off. And the benefit there, again, for them is really around the cost. They now have an insurance solution that really is fine-tuned to the way they run their business. And then as a result, they're able to offer that program um, much more cost-effectively to uh, to the various folks in Washington, D.C. I, I uh, heard you mention autonomous cars, and you're a worldwide uh, company, correct? That's correct, yeah. Um, yeah. Is the United States, in your opinion, is are we lagging in a in autonomous cars, are we falling behind, or is there more testing and more rollout in other countries? Do you know? Yeah, so it's a great question, and and, and I don't think anybody has a really um, definitive answer, but I would say um, it's a little bit less of a sort of a country versus country conversation and a little bit more of a geography or city um, versus city scenario. So. Um, as most of us know, Waymo is is, uh, is driving in uh, in Arizona. In fact, has announced their uh, their public service called Waymo One, and um, just a week or two ago. And from the outside, it really looks like Waymo is doing a, a really wonderful job of, um, of of advancing their particular program, and, and obviously they're comfortable enough to have it public, which is which is great. So that's a good indicator for the U.S. There are there are other outposts in the world where autonomy and autonomous cars are are sort of looking good, so to speak, and part of that is probably because of the particular nuances of the geography. So Singapore is a great example where very small country cars are extremely expensive, and you know wealthy population. The regulation is sort of supporting autonomous vehicles, and it has lended lended itself to to autonomy, and and people are investing there, but. So you can look around the world, and there are probably a couple of different cities out there that are probably excelling. But I would say that largely the U.S. is doing a, a, a really good job between the likes of Waymo and Cruise and other folks that are out there. Oh, okay. Thank you. So Trove is really going to expand with all this autonomy. Yeah, we certainly hope so. I, I think, you know, um, we're... You know, by luck um, or by chance, we're, we're not sure why, but we sort of 
we have an offering that makes sense and the market seems to be ready for it. And, and largely it's because us as consumers, we're, we're beginning to ask ourselves the question, you know, do I really need the second or third car? Could I get by, you know, with Ubers or Lyfts or car share or something else? And uh, for some of us already, we're making that switch. Others were not quite ready there. But really, there's something going on in, in terms of human behavior and how we're moving through the world. And so for us as a business, I think we're just lucky to be here and, and sort of have a solution that works um, as, uh, as the transition is happening. Ian, uh, with your great speaking voice and, and your name, uh, Ian Sweeney, what, what is your background and, and how did you get involved with this type of business? Have you been in, sh- in insurance in another area or did you come into this from yeah. a whole other occupation? Well, yeah, so um, I don't know if you can still hear the accent, but I'm from Ireland originally. Oh, I, I oh come it. on. Yeah, of course we okay. can. It's okay. great. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Ian, it's great voice. So, so, yeah, I've been here for about 20 years, actually, and... Uh, Believe it or not, I'm very much a car guy. So um, I used to I used to race cars actually in Europe and on the West Coast, up and down the West Coast. And I had a business importing and distributing race cars at one point in time. So so I'm absolutely a, a car guy, but probably more professionally, I've been involved in the entrepreneurial side of things for the for the last 20 years or so. And so no, I'm, I'm not necessarily steeped in insurance. I'm more steeped in sort of. Uh, working in businesses where something new is happening and trying to understand how to, uh, you know, how to structure a business and formulate things for, that people want to buy and, and find useful. So, so it's sort of, you know, very lucky for me that I arrived here at this very exciting time. It's, there's a little bit of tension personally when I see what's happening because I love my cars and I love driving cars, but but it's hard to sort of deny, certainly on the autonomous side, that really interesting things are happening in terms of safety and in terms of cost. And I think all in all, it'll be a good thing um, for, you know, uh, for society. It'll be a little bit tough on me, you know, ha- not having as many cars anymore, but it's probably the right thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I look forward to the autonomous cars, but at the same time, just like they still have horses, people ride horses, there's going to be old cars that we can drive. Yes, they, I, going back to a previous topic where I'm pretty excited to see what happens, they're going to introduce this autonomous uh, vehicle, Ollie, um, in, here in mm-hmm. Sacramento. I know it's been in Arizona for a while, maybe another state, yeah. but we're going to have it. Uh, they uh, signed a contract with uh, Sacramento State University to mm-hmm. have this vehicle, uh, maybe it's already started, and maybe it's about to start. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe with some friends getting on Ollie and saying, "Hey, we're going to go yeah. to dinner, and we're going to go at seven, and come back and get us at nine. I, I'm really interested to see how that works in, in our city here in Sacramento. Um, but, but that said, I wondered if it's okay if, if, if it's not too much of a, a personal question uh, with the business. Is there an example that you can provide? with some ideas of, of actual cost. I mean, people who have car insurance, you kind of know where you're going to fall in a, in a premium for a year. I think, you know, in, in a, a kind of a wide uh, envelope of, of prices, but you kind of sort of know. How about yeah. with your area? Could you give us an example of what it might cost? Yeah, it's a, a little bit hard to do the translation because what happens is, you know, we pay for our own car insurance. Yes. But let's say, you know, we rent a vehicle for an hour. So it's hard to do the translation. But what I will, maybe this might help to understand how we go about doing it more efficiently. So the, generally, the, the insurance is not charged at a flat rate. So what we try to do is understand really the risk uh, associated with the car. So when a car is, you know, sitting in your driveway or in a parking lot, the risk 
and hence the insurance cost should be pretty low. As soon as it begins to drive, the risk goes up. And so we charge, or we generally structure the insurance to be charged per mile or maybe per minute. And so uh, what that ends up meaning is you're really only paying, or you know, the, the business that is paying for this insurance is really only paying for when that vehicle is in use. When it's not in use, then the cost is significantly lower and the types of coverages or the perils of the insurance fee that are covered are much lower. So what you end up is with something called usage-based insurance. And the, without getting into all the nuts and bolts of that, the net of that is actually you end up with a lower cost and uh, and that then, of course, doesn't show up as a as something you pay directly in your your fee to rent these vehicles. But the overall cost is is ultimately lower. Gotcha. That well, now it kind of it's, I'm getting more of a focused idea of what it actually what it actually does and how it works. So, so thank you for that. Sure. Right. Yeah. The guy that drives a thousand miles a, a year versus the guy who drives ten thousand. There's a there's a price difference where in standard based insurance there really isn't. Well, Ian, we want to thank you for taking the time today to be our guest on the Weekly Driver podcast. Um, you've explained this whole new world, and uh, I'm sure that people can go to the website that you have uh, to take a look at it. Can I assume it's uh, www.trovemobility.com, or is it something else that I just read over? Yeah, a little bit shorter, so just trove.com, T-R-O-V.com. Okay, and then I'm sure there's a wealth of knowledge there that we should have looked at prior to our podcast, but we didn't. But but thanks for explaining that to us. And um, during the holiday season, best to you and uh, friends and family. And thank you again for being our guest today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. That's great. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. Yes, thank you, Ian. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Weekly Driver Podcast receives support from americantrucks.com, your late model Silverado, Sierra, Ram, and F-150 online aftermarket retailer, bringing you all of the hottest parts from accessories to lift kits, from wheels to tires and winches. americantrucks.com has the knowledge and know-how to make your wildest dreams come to reality.